Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Good morning. I hear I'm not the only one uh, with a cough or a sniffle, so bear with me. Luke chapter 2. In the season of Advent and Christmas, we've been looking at some of the key passages that deal with the coming of Christ, the preparation for his coming, his actual arrival, what happens afterwards. And today we are picking up in Luke chapter 2, and I'll be reading starting in verse 21. So this is right after Jesus is born. And when eight days had passed, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that Thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Now there are a few basic uh, details here that we have to understand in order to get what's going on. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem, obviously. The shepherds have come, 
And they found him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, just as the angels had said. But what happens next? Well, according to God's law, a male child had to be circumcised when he was eight days old. Now just think about that. Our Lord Jesus Christ was circumcised. Now, what does that tell you? Well, a couple of obvious things. Number one, he has a body, right? He has a body that can be cut. He was human, and that body is male, okay? He's a man. And his sufferings for his people began almost immediately. This is the first time his blood was spilled. And this, when a Jewish boy is circumcised, he's also named. And so Jesus was named at his circumcision. Verse 21 says, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given to the angel, given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And remember, what does Jesus mean? Jesus means Yahweh saves. So he's brought into the, he's not brought into the temple at this point, but he's circumcised at eight days. He has a body, he bleeds, he's named Yahweh saves. But there's more going on here. Verse, starting in verse 22, it says this. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now what's all that about? There are two things going on here. The law says that a new mother is ceremonially ceremonially unclean for 40 days after she gives birth. That means she can't go to the temple for 40 days until 40 days has gone after the baby is born. And after that, she is to bring an offering to the temple, normally a one-year-old lamb, unless you're poor, and then you can bring two doves or pigeons, and that's what Mary and Joseph do. They're too poor for the, to bring a lamb, so they bring a pair of birds. I remember the, the, uh, the magi haven't come yet. That happens later. So they don't have the gold. They don't have the frankincense. They don't have the myrrh. They're poor, and so they offer the poor offering to birds. And so that's one reason that Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple. She has to perform the ceremony of purification after the birth. But there's another, another reason. The law says that a firstborn son belongs to the Lord. A firstborn son belongs to the Lord. Exodus twenty-two twenty-nine: the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Numbers 3, 13, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the first, firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel from man to beast. They shall be mine, I am the Lord. And so every firstborn son belongs to the Lord, but the parents can redeem that firstborn son for five shekels of silver. That way they can keep their son. So those are the options. Either dedicate the son totally to the Lord or pay five shekels and keep the son. But notice, there's no mention of a redemption price paid for Jesus here. 
All it says is that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. In other words, they truly give Jesus to the Lord. They dedicate him to God fully. It's exactly what Hannah did. Remember Hannah, first Samuel, Hannah's son, Samuel? She says, I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. In a couple of weeks from now, we're gonna be looking at the next passage in Luke 2, where Jesus is 12 years old, remember this? And he's in Jerusalem with Mary and Joseph, and he gets left behind. Remember that story? We're gonna look at it in a couple of weeks. And after they come back to find him, they find him with the teachers listening and asking them questions, sitting in the temple, conversing with the, with the rabbis. And once Mary and Joseph find him, he says, why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? You see what's going on. He had been dedicated to God. Where else would he be? His, his parents, Mary and Joseph, should have realized that. That's why Jesus is like, where else would I be? You dedicated me to God. So that's what's going on. Now, what's the point of all this? All of this is vital to what Jesus will do when he grows into a man and offers himself as a sinless, spotless sacrifice for the sins of his people. Verse 22, when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed. Verse 23, all as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Verse 39, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. It is very important that Jesus did everything according to the law of the Lord. Jesus had come to save his people from their sins. How can he do that? Well, he can do that only because first, he is fully God in the flesh. Second, because he is in the flesh, so he's fully man. And third, because he is fully righteous. He is fully righteous. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but he has to be a spotless lamb, a holy, righteous, perfect sacrifice. And so the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And that perfection, that perfect righteousness starts here. As a baby, he is fulfilling God's law. Remember Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Jesus was born under the law. Jesus perfectly kept the law so that he might take that perfect obedience and apply it to you. He obeyed perfectly the law so that he could take that perfect obedience and apply it to you. That is the heart of your salvation. That's what it means to be justified. 
Not only to be forgiven, which is wonderful, not only to have your slate wiped clean and be forgiven of all your past sins, but also to be, de- to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. Romans 4, 5 says this, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Your faith is counted to you as righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, because he perfectly obeyed the law, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin gets put on him, his righteousness gets put on us. Jesus has that righteousness to give. Why? Because he was in fact righteous. According to what standard? According to the standard of God's law. He kept the law perfectly. Now listen, you desperately need his righteousness because you don't have any of your own. You don't have any of your own. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. You can have no hope of standing before the searing perfection of God's holiness dressed in your righteousness. Your righteousness is filthy rags. You need the perfect righteousness of Jesus covering you. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. That's what you need. You need to be clothed with someone else's righteousness because you don't have any. So come to him. Humble yourself. Stop trying to impress God with your rags. That will kill you. I'm convinced there are people here in this room right now who are just like the Jews of the Apostle Paul's day. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about the Jews of his day. Romans 10.3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, not knowing about God's righteousness, seeking to establish your own, look at me. Look what I've done. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my children. Look at my devotion. Look at my giving. Look at my whatever. Seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They didn't humble themselves and submit themselves to someone else's righteousness. They wanted to establish their own. You can't establish your own righteousness. You must submit yourself to the righteousness of God, the righteousness he gives you, the righteousness he credits to you, the perfect righteousness of Jesus that he accomplished for everyone who hopes in him. Either Jesus will be your righteousness or you will perish in your sins. That's it. Either Jesus will be your righteousness or you will die. 
That's why these little details about circumcision and purification and sacrifices are also important. They actually lay the foundation for our only hope, the perfect active obedience of Jesus Christ to the whole law of God in all of its detail, Jesus accomplished it, nothing lacking, and he takes that and he applies that to you, if you'll trust him. He applies it to you. He applies it to your account. He takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. Now that's why Mary and Joseph and Jesus came into the temple. They did that to accomplish and to to satisfy, to obey the law of God. And that's why it's important. He did it for you. Now what happens when they get there? Well, they meet two people, two godly old people, a man and a woman, Simeon and Anna. These are two witnesses to the truth of who Jesus is. Why two witnesses? Well, again, according to the law. The law of God says the truth of a matter is established by two or three witnesses. So this is evidence that, will, that would stand up in a court according to the law of God. These two witnesses that come and, and declare who this baby is. Now Luke doesn't say much about Anna, so I won't either, but I will say this. She is a prophetess. She's either 84 or 105, depending on how you do the numbers and how, how, you, how you figure this. Either way, she's old. She's either 84 or she's been a widow for 84 years, depending on how you count. Look at what Luke says about her. Look at verse 37. So she never left the temple serving night and day. How? How does she serve? Fastings and prayers. Fastings and prayers. Fasting and prayer serves God. And there are some of you here, that's all you can do. So do it. Serve God. Fasting and prayer. Very sweet. Verse 38, it says, at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Not only did she fast in prayer, she didn't stop talking about Jesus to everyone who would hear her. Now, it's interesting. These two people, Simeon and Anna, this is hard for us to, to, I think, realize. How dark is Jerusalem spiritually when Jesus comes? How dark is it? It's dark. It's actually quite godless. The actual religious leaders, remember, are the ones who end up wanting to kill him, along with the rest of the people at their leadership. This is a very, very, very dark time. And yet here we have Simeon, we'll talk about him in a second, and Anna. Godly old people, faithful people, looking for all of God's promises to be fulfilled. God always has people like that, no matter how dark it is. No matter how dark it is. Now, Simeon, verse 25. 
And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, it doesn't actually say that Simeon is old, but I think he is. He's been waiting. He's been waiting. He's, he finally says, I'm ready to die. I think he's old. But he's certainly godly. He is righteous, it says, or just in his dealings with men. And he is devout or pious in his dealings with God. And he's been waiting and waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel. The one who would come and save his people. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. What an amazing promise. Think of this. He knew he was not going to die until he had seen the one thing he had been waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit to the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now Lord you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So picture this, Simeon is amazed. Finally, finally, I've seen what God said I would see. Finally, my eyes have seen salvation. This little baby is salvation. And this salvation is not just for us Jews. God has prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. This baby is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. This is, of course, what all the prophets of the Old Testament said. And they pointed to this. The Lord's Christ would be the savior of the world. He would be the savior for Jews and Germans. The savior for Africans, for English, for Chinese, for Japanese, for American mutts, like me and most of you. The savior of the world. And I imagine that Simeon has words like this from the, apostle, or from the prophet Isaiah swirling around in his head as he picks up this baby Jesus in his arms. Words like this from Isaiah 25. It says this, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples, all nations, on this mountain. Now, G- Simeon is standing on that mountain. He's on Mount Zion. He's in the temple, the mountain that, that Isaiah is talking about. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces and He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. 
finally, that, that's what's happening. Isaiah 49.6, the prophet Isaiah says to the Messiah, the Lord says to the Messiah, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's nothing. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is what's, this is what's running through Simeon's head as he, as he picks up this baby. Those are the kinds of things he says. A light to the nations. He's prepared the salvation for all peoples. And here it is. This baby, this Jesus, is the salvation of the world. Right here. Here he is. Verse 33. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Yeah, no doubt. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. That's a little, a little taste of what's going to happen to her as she's standing before the cross of, of this baby grown up. A sword will pierce your own soul. To the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, this was true then and it's true now. Jesus will either crush you or save you. He will either crush you or save you. He is appointed for the fall and rise of many. Simeon is echoing again the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 8. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble, stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. This is talking about the Messiah. The Apostle Peter says the same thing, 1 Peter 2. For this is contained in scripture, behold I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. Listen, Jesus will either be your sanctuary your precious savior, or he will be your doom, your stumbling block, your downfall, your death. What determines which it'll be? Whether or not you believe. This precious value is then for those, for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, Doom, 
So which is it for you? Which is it for you? Is Jesus your savior or your stumbling block? Will he be your fall or your rising? Why do people stumble over Jesus? All kinds of reasons. People stumble at his virgin birth. They stumble at his humble arrival, at his lowliness. People stumble at the company he kept. The people who flocked to him, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. People stumble at his miracles. People stumble at his teaching. People stumble at his sufferings and his death and his resurrection. And people stumble more than anything at his absolute authority and lordship. He is king of kings and lord of lords. All authority is his. Every knee will bow to him. Every tongue will confess that he is lord. And you can't play around with him. You can't play around with him like he's your little pet. Your little security blanket. He is not your errand boy. You can't pick and choose with him. Listen to me. You can't pick and choose with him. If you claim him as your savior, he must be your Lord. Which means you must obey him. If you claim him as your savior and blow off his commandments, he's not your savior. He's the Lord. Churches are filled with people. Our church is filled with people. Our churches are filled with people who want to have him as their savior, don't want to obey him. You're fooling yourself. You don't get to pick half and half. He is who he is. He's the Lord of all creation. He is the God of all creation, by whom and for whom everything was created. And if you don't obey him, if you don't submit to him, if you don't do what he says and don't do what he says not to do, if you don't humble yourself before him, you will die in your sins. He will crush you. He will bring down the rod of his justice and shatter you like a clay pot. And it doesn't matter matter that you said, oh, but he's my savior. Those who love him do what he says. But if you come to him, if you seek him, if you humble yourself before him, if you trust him, you will find him to be a powerful and kind an all-sufficient savior, one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Now, one last thing and we'll be done. 
We can't, we can't look at Simeon without talking about death. The Holy Spirit told Simeon that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then when Simeon lays eyes on Jesus, he says, now Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, to die, to die in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Finally, I can die in peace. Now listen, can you say that? Can you say that? You are going to die. You are going to die. Children, all of you children, look at me and listen to me. You're going to die. Young people, you're going to die. Old people, you're going to die. Will you die like Simeon in peace? How can he die in peace? We're all born with the fear of death. How, how can he die in peace? Here's how. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He could see death without dread, without sting, because he had seen the salvation of the Lord. He had seen Jesus. And so for him, death is gain. Death is gain. What about you? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? Don't don't let anything about your age affect how you answer that question. There are people in this room most likely who will be dead before next year, before 2019, right? Maybe young, maybe old. Are you ready to die? The only time to answer that question is now. Are you ready to die in peace? You can, you can, because Jesus came. See him, see him. Let's pray.